Hello and welcome to the Management Learning Podcast. Uh, this is episode four and our topic today is how do we keep the focus on our people and on building a supportive team when we're all working under pressure? Um, I'm your host, I'm Louise, and I'm joined today by Diana and Jules. Um, morning, Diana. Do you want to say a little bit about your interest in this conversation? Morning. Yes. Thank you, Louise. Uh, so I'm one of the directors of Management Learning and Coaching, one of the founding directors. Um, and in addition to that, I have also spent rather large bits of my life um, being a patient in the NHS for a variety of different things. So when this topic came along, this, this idea of, you know, how, how, do we, how can we learn from people who are really dealing under pressure and still having to look after their people? Um, I was really interested to, to sort of make that connection. Lovely. Thanks, Diana. Um, and Jules, um, hi and welcome. Would you like to say a little bit about your interest in this conversation? Yeah, good morning. Um, yeah, so I work as a learning designer um, and I work with lots of different consultancies, helping them to um, develop different learning products. Um, so part of that is, is, uh, is team building. So in terms of the products that we create, but also that's a part of working together and through those processes. Um, so that's something that's, that's always, you know, interested me and perpetually challenges me. Um, but also I, I have worked with um, consultancies that provide training services to the NHS. Um, and in that experience, I've really got a, a sort of a window into the front line of, of how challenging um, life can be for for them especially you know with with coronavirus um pandemic so mm. so yeah that's that's me lovely well i'm really really looking forward to talking with you both about this about it this morning and so when we were talking about this podcast we we thought we'd take a different approach today um and so the when we're talking about the topic of looking after your people and working as well as a team under pressure the corporate world isn't necessarily well known for supporting the individual in the full glory of their humanity and uniqueness. And that's not to say that all organisations are like this, but certainly it's not known for being the top priority for many big corporate organisations. Um, and that, that's so much so that it filters through our norms and our conventions and shapes our thinking without us realising. And one of my favourite examples of this is that um, you know, that happens even down to essential business skills, kind of communication skills, handling difficult conversations with colleagues or, or you know, talking about difficult things with colleagues um, and managing performance are labelled as soft skills, um, as if they're somehow less important than the hard or the technical skills. So one of the questions that I've got is, is it just too easy to lose sight of the people amid tasks, budgets and objectives? Um, so we're going to talk about this and and one a sector that came up for certainly in my thinking about this was the NHS um, because that's a sector that you know is, is well known in the UK for people having people working under a lot of pressure as Jill said particularly at the moment uh, in the current pandemic um, and we're also going to look at it through the lens of poetry rather than the usual language of business um, to help us stay connected to the human side of this. And I, I was recently involved in a project involving an anthology of NHS poetry, which is partly my, kind of my interest in this. Um, but, but, there's, but it's not just about the NHS. There are many sectors where people work under a great deal of pressure. Um, 
So we're all introduced. Um, I wanted also um, to just start us off with a limerick that was contributed by um, a colleague, Diana, and my colleague, Tim. And um, we were talking about this in one of our team meetings and Tim just spontaneously came out with this. The chat had got very serious and, and Tim, Tim kind of bounded in and said, in this land of lockdown, in Hove, our lovely town, we're still two metres apart. So this is a start to relieving the NHS frown. Um, and what that did was it provides some very welcome levity on the subject. And it's a reminder, particularly to me, um, to you know that levity is okay and also it's that's one of Tim's superpowers is to is to bring a contribution that that makes everyone kind of stop for a minute um so thank you to Tim for that um but so I'm gonna ask Diana now um which poem would you like to share with this Diana right uh, this was really difficult I have to say uh, I'm going to read um the poem by Julia Darling called chemotherapy um, which is a topic close to my heart because actually I like the way that she's dealt with it. Um, that's all right. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Diana. Okay, shall I make a start? Please do. Okay, so the title is Chemotherapy. I did not imagine being bald at 44. I didn't have a plan. Perhaps a scar or two from growing old. Hot flushes. I'd sit fluttering a fan. But I am bald and hardly ever walk. By day, I'm the invalid of these rooms, stirring soups, half awake, in, awake in the half dark, not answering the phone when it rings. I never thought that life could get this small, that I would care so much about a cup, the taste of tea, the texture of a shawl, and whether or not I should get up. I'm not unhappy. I have learnt to drift and sip. The smallest things are gifts. So, Thank you yeah. for reading that, Diana. Hmm. You're welcome. There were lots of things in that poem that, that spoke to me, really. Having had chemo, actually I was 54, not 44. That was uh, one difference, but um, mm. yeah, about just the world getting smaller um, and really your focus is on, shall I get out of bed now, shall I go back to sleep? Um, and not imagining being bald. Everybody assumed, uh, I think, that that would be the hardest part. And I know for some people it is. For, for me, that wasn't a problem at all. Mm. I had a much bigger fear of feeling sick than I did of losing my hair, strangely. But there we go. Oh, um, it's, it's not an experience I've had, so I um, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear about and very uh, very moving as well. Actually, to hear about anyone's lived experience of chemotherapy. Yeah, and I think one of the things for me that, that spoke to me, apart from the fact that I have had chemo reasonably recently, um, is the assumptions that people make. So there are assumptions. You know, some people's assumptions are you know, this is last chance saloon sort of thing, whereas I never really felt that. Um, mm. There are uh, people's assumptions that losing your hair as a woman would be the worst thing. And, and I thought, well, I can, you know, I can live without my hair. I have, I have a funny story about my wig, um, but uh, which, which I might share with you, which I never wore, actually. It's still in its bag no. with the label still on it. 
Um, but, uh, you know, people's assumptions that, that as a woman losing your hair would be terrible. And, I, and it was a very hot summer. So uh, I just thought I'm going to get used to and get other people used to seeing me without hair, mm. which was fine. I even changed my Facebook profile picture at the time so people would recognise me. It's mm. all yeah, I think there's an interesting point there, isn't it, about if if you're if how you look or something about you is going to change, then other people will need to get used to that. Yeah, and, and actually taking that further, you know, in this time where we are going to have to have difficult conversations, and I take this back into the sort of uh, you know management world, there are going to be some difficult conversations to be had with people, undoubtedly. Um, as the furlough scheme changes and as businesses are needing to, to decide what the next step is. And, and sometimes, you know, we can get ourselves completely caught up in the assumption that however I'm feeling about this is how the other person is going to be feeling about it too. Mm. Where actually, you know, the, the, the worst thing about any situation like this is, is the unknown, is the ambiguity, is the just not knowing. So once you have something to deal with, even if it's bad news, even if it's redundancy, even if it's something, you know, you didn't want to hear, once you know, you can start planning. But when yeah. you're tiptoeing around and, and not wanting to say the word, you know, the C word or the R word for redundancy or whatever, you know, you can't start making plans and your fears actually might be far worse than the reality once you know what you're dealing with. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. You just you just don't know, do you, unless you actually listen to the other person or the other people rather than make assumptions. And I, I think that's very true for working as a team in any way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the better you know your people, the better you know, you know, what, what motivates them, what turns them on, what are their crunch points, what else are they going through? A friend of mine uh, always talks about three-legged dogs. You know, how, do you, how well do you know them? Do you, do you know the names of their children and their pets? <laughs> they've got a three-legged dog at home the, the I was wondering where the link to three-legged dogs well, <laughs> you need to know people well enough to know that they have a three-legged dog and even mm. if they don't once you start the conversation they always know somebody who does yeah them well enough to have that conversation but the, the better you know somebody the better you know how they're likely to take the information or the bad news or the difficult conversation and and you can help them through it then rather than making assumptions you know everybody who has chemo is going to fear losing their hair yeah um Jules I don't know if there's anything that you would like to comment or reflect on that what's come up for you um you know I was really struck by Diana's story and some of the things she was saying at the beginning about um you know the world shrinking under those, those circumstances. Um, um, but, but what I was getting was that you, you have still had a really strong sense of self throughout that, even though the you know, world around you might have shrunk to be, become about, you know, having a cup of tea. Um, that you, it's like that you lost your hair wasn't such a, a big thing. Um, so, so I, I think there's, there's something of um, seeing the individual, you know, peeling away those layers to be able to see the individual and understand people um, more deeply, but also recognising that um, the context that we're in can also start to shape and affect us um, and 
and show more of ourselves, show more of our true colours, if you like. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, Jules. And actually, would you elaborate a bit on how, I, it sounds to me like they say there's, um, there's an interplay between the individual perhaps learning more about themselves or other people learning more about the individual and the context allowing for that learning to happen or for, for certain things that may have been more hidden to come to the surface. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think part of that is, is that we, we are always in relationship with what's happening around us or happening, you know, working on us. Um, mm. So we're always learning and sort of revealing more of ourselves, even to ourselves, if you like, um, as that's unfolding. So, so I, I think, yeah. Go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, I completely understand that. We are always learning about ourselves. Nobody knows how they're going to deal with any situation until they're in it. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to that, you know, what you said, Louise, about, um, you know, not relying on our assumptions, but, but staying in, checking in with people, you know, mm. really being in relationship with people as, as they are changing and learning and unfolding. Mm. I th that seems to me when I think back about my experience of well, life and work all of it that seems to be a really important thing to stay in relationship with people as, as they are and as as they change as we all change and shift yeah. not necessarily an easy thing to do but perhaps one of the things that actually allows us to have strong relationships Yes, absolutely. There's a phrase I, I heard many years ago and people are sort of saying it now and I didn't really ever know what it meant, which is holding the space for mm. somebody to, to grow and develop and, and almost learn about themselves, learn how they are, you know, dealing with a new situation themselves. And, and almost making assumptions, not making assumptions, but you know, take, taking away the assumptions that because you dealt with this situation in a certain way last time, you know that that's still going to be the same yeah yeah because it um it comes back to something that i was thinking when i was looking at one of the course outlines diana that that you wrote um about how to build a good team and, and it seems that every every point about what might go wrong in a team or how you might solve what might go wrong in a team came back to actually properly listening yeah. to the people in the team and, and that comes back that's really about building strong relationships isn't it you know you, you listen to people as they are build relationship with them you can then build trust you can then kind of figure out how you work well together you can then recognize each other's strengths and also look for areas that you might want to individuals or the team might might want to improve so I, it, it seems that the thing about being in relationship with people as they are and the need to listen feels absolutely fundamental to building any kind of team be it in work or outside for, for me the thing about listening is uh, i would sort of add a little bit which is listen with curiosity mm. be curious about yeah. what the, uh, you, you will know my metaphor of go around to the other side of the table what does the world look like from the other side of the table because it will look different from your side if you're looking across at somebody, you'll see whatever the background is behind them. They don't see that. They see the background that's behind you. 
Mm. The world will look different. They'll have different life experiences and assumptions and things that have shaped the way they see things and believe things. Yeah, and it's so easy to misunderstand, isn't it? Which comes back to your point earlier, Diana, about making assumptions. It's so easy to make an assumption or misunderstand something and not realise you've done it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You need to listen for not just what's said, but how it's said and, and sometimes what it what is not said as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's yeah, re- I'm finding that really thought provoking. Um and I think Jules, if if you've got a poem that you'd like to share, um we'd really like to hear it. Yeah, I do. Um so this one's called Working Together and it's by David White from his book, uh The House of Belonging. We shape ourselves to fit this world, and by the world are shaped again. The visible and the invisible, working together in common cause to produce the miraculous. I'm thinking of the way the intangible air passed at speed round a shaped wing, easily holds our weight. So may we, in this life, trust to those elements we have yet to see or imagine, and look for the true shape of our own self by forming it well to the great intangibles about us. Thank you, Jules. So that was it's kind of touching on some themes that we've just explored. You know, he says, we shape ourselves to fit this world and by the world are shaped again. The thing of unfolding ourselves in relation to the context, it's, the context is always working on us. Um, but there's what's really resonating for me in this poem is this thing of trusting, trusting the group process, trusting the collective that we're in. Um, and, and I suppose with that, not needing to, especially under pressure, not needing to kind of clutch on tightly to, you know, getting control over this, um, situation, um, Okay, sometimes in a you know crisis situation that needs to be there, but um, often we can get overcharged um, when really we actually just need to, like Diana said, hold space collectively um, and keep contributing and not have everything right first time, but keep seeding ideas and keep contributing as a whole um, and trust that things will manifest. Um, hmm. So true when you're in a crisis situation, you can't control it. Yeah, that's a good point. Take little bits that you can take some control over. When I had, um, I've been through cancer three times. When I had my first breast cancer, um, I can remember very clearly thinking back and thinking, right, I'm going to control what I eat. I can control, don't forget, this is the, you know, days before the internet. For those of you who don't, don't remember days before the internet, you couldn't just go and Google stuff. I'm going to control what I eat. I'm going to choose very carefully. That lasted about a week. And I just thought, I can't control this. I, you know, I, I want different things at different times. Stuff tastes funny and all that kind of thing. Um, and, and actually, you just have to give up that control and, and yeah. just think, you know, what will happen will happen. Trust the process. Trust that, that the right thing will happen um, and the right sort of sequence of things happen. So it is very much sort of trusting that the world will shape you in the way that you need to be shaped. Yeah. Nobody plans these things, but we can do is 
take some control over how we deal with them, how we choose to deal with them. And sometimes not in the heat of a crisis. Yeah, what, what that makes me think, so the, what you picked out, Jules, is resonating for you about, you know, trust and not to clutch on tightly and having control and what, what you're saying as well, Diana. It, I'm thinking about that in it by not control, by not controlling everything or not even trying to control everything because you'll never succeed anyway, but you leave space for the, you know, the people that you're experiencing with, the people that you're in relationship with. So that might be your team or, you know, outside work, it might, might be people that you care about. But you're leaving space for the other people you're in relationship with to bring themselves, to bring um, their strengths and their talents to the situation whereas I think by trying too hard to control things I mean you know there are situations where you need processes that have to be followed I understand that but by trying too hard to control things you block out or blot out space for people to be human people to bring the you know as much of themselves as they as they want to or as they need to absolutely the thing is life is messy it's not linear (laughs) trying to control everything you know you it just makes you certifiable by coffee time you can't do it and you just drive yourself mad yeah and that that applies at work as well doesn't it you know life is um work is a part of life it work it we when we step through the threshold of an office or sit in the desk chair but it's suddenly enter a world that's completely ordered and beautiful do we and and (laughs) totally totally clear Take note, anybody who's trying to homeschool at the moment. I'm <laughs> yeah. not, personally, but I've got friends who are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I thought for a long time that that's what I was aiming for when I was at work, to make sense of everything, to make order out of the chaos of life. Because I don't, I don't know, I don't even know where I got that idea from. But as I get older, I learn that it's just not possible and not even desirable. No, actually, that takes us on to a whole new topic of uh, imposter syndrome. You know, I've got to be seen to be in control because obviously everybody around me is. And, and that's how you, you know, rock up as professional. You know, I, I might get found out. I might get caught out if I don't turn up here as, you know, looking the part, looking professional, being professional, not forgetting stuff, not needing a coffee break every now and again, not needing to go and walk away from all this stuff. Yeah, and you you compare that to being in in that curious, you know, listening mindset that you described. Um, I think you know that's a much more generative, much more creative way of being in working in a team. Um, yeah. It's it's that's creating kind of more space with the time. It is actually normal, you know. Yeah. You think sometimes oh, I can't be, I, I mustn't be found out because that's a sign of weakness or something. Um, I, I might put you slightly on the spot here, Jules. So um, tell me if, if so, but have you got any examples um, of being in a, a space that is much more generative, as you were just talking about, either from your your own experience or other people who you know? Well, I think working with magical learning and coaching has been very generative. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. Um, I mean, well, you know, one of the first things that happened as I started to work with you guys was um uh, tim said the four magic words to me he said you know i won't judge you is that four yeah yeah it is. <laughs> um, yeah so and and it was just it was great because that set the 
the foundation for for doing you know being able to mess up you know mm. and, and recognizing that yeah. actually messing up is a part of the process it's part of the creative process makes you um, part of the team <laughs> where we're concerned <laughs> exactly um and and that's really really helpful in a practical way for me because as a as i suppose um somebody providing a specialist service um it can be very easy for me to go off into a corner and you know make everything perfect from my perspective and then hand it over <laughs> but that's but i know that that's not the best way to do things you know um, no. um, and by the way, there is no such thing as perfect just saying. exactly exactly <laughs> it would just be from my perspective yeah. so, um, so my challenge is is to be in a dance between you know what the experience and expertise that I can bring but also in a in a kind of group co-design process um, so I have to know you know when when do I sharpen things up and bring in focus and when do I open things up and you know plant a seed and we all together nurture it to grow um, mm. so, so that that in itself is you know it's almost like a, a <laughs> meta inquiry for want of a better term but um another level of curiosity that i can bring um to to working together and, hmm. and of course the the team is greater than the sum of all its parts that's one of the things that exactly. makes it complete so. exactly yeah. I, I love i love the the idea of it being a dance jules that's really yeah. kind of that's got stuck firmly in my head now i really <laughs> like that it's so different to this idea of everything being rigid and ordered and there being some kind of perfection that, that I started my working life with. You know, the thing about, uh, uh, I said perfection doesn't exist, um, but, but some of the greatest inventions have come out of people messing up. Like yeah. post-it notes is the one, the obvious one that I always remember learning, you know, mm. some, somebody was yeah. trying to design a glue that stuck paper together and they didn't work. And that's how we have post-it notes. Yeah. So that's so that's sort of the drug I took for my first breast cancer, tamoxifen. Some people may or may not know was originally um, developed to be a contraceptive, except it didn't work. Right. <laughs> Quite a big oh, mess okay. up. But but in the process, they found that it could uh, help to keep tumours at bay. Yeah, and of course, it was already part way through the um, the the create the kind of drug creation process. So it's easier isn't it to take something that you've started working on and adapt it yes exactly yeah yes and cheaper as well yes uh, and there are companies who, who just specialize in doing exactly that mm -hmm. so one person's mess up is another person's you know great breakthrough really yeah a happy accident yeah 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 absolutely and um, the the other thing about the the metaphor of, of dance is that um one of my big learnings when I was learning to dance and I, I tried learning swing dancing and, and Lindy hop dancing and I love both, but, but didn't give enough time to either. But one of my big learnings was um, in the follow position. So you have a lead and a follow in, in both, both the styles of dance. In the follow position, I needed to learn to wait for a signal mm. from whoever I was dancing with. Um, and that's an important part of the dance that you listen to the signals from from the other person. And in fact, it works both ways. 
growth for you know for the lead and, and the follower but that was that was a really new idea to me instead of deciding for myself what I needed to do and it echoes what Jules said about going into a corner coming up with what you think is perfect yeah. and presenting it back and that that's not teamwork that's not no. collaborating with someone is it no and actually being you know being a team leader also means sometimes being the follower you don't you don't mm-hmm. have to know it all I think it's one of the biggest problems that that some uh female dancers on strictly have isn't it just being being okay with following because they're mm. used to maybe leading in their you know in their, in their normal lives and actually yeah. just being okay with being a follower can be quite yeah that's so interesting <laughs> yeah yeah really really fascinating um well I, so i think that's been thank you so much both of you for for bringing a poem that you each like and reading it which is is quite a brave thing to do um and being so open in sharing your thoughts about it so i don't know if uh, have either have you both got say one one kind of thing that you're going to take away from this conversation that you can share with us dance more (laughs) dance Dance more more. (laughs) i love it Get on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to be totally serious now and say, you know, a lot of it's about trust. Just trust. Yeah. 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 I like dance more, though. <laughs> I think we can have both. <laughs> so, everyone, dance more and trust is important. Yeah. <laughs> and, and trust is important in dance, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so okay thank you so much um I'm gonna end on Tim's limerick again because I just because it just reminds me of the importance of kind of listening to everyone's contribution um and we can you know we can be both serious and we can have levity about things and that mix is important too um and I don't I don't know if I did it justice when I read it earlier so Tim's limerick when we were talking about the NHS In this land of lockdown, in Hove, our lovely town, we're still two metres apart. So this is a start to relieving the NHS frown. Okay, thank you, Jules and Diane. It's been wonderful to chat. Thank you. Take care.